Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16 for our study this morning. Mark chapter 16. As we go to the Word uh, this morning and go to prayer, I hope that uh, you're surprised this morning. Because I think most times uh, when it comes to holiday weekends, we don't really expect to encounter God, oddly enough. Uh, it's kind of our routine to, to come to church and where all these things are going on and it's a busy day. And, and it, it's actually kind of difficult to encounter the Lord. And that's my prayer this morning is that we would be surprised with an encounter with the Lord. That the Lord is here, his presence is with us, and that he's wanting to speak to our hearts and, and reveal himself to us. So let's pray. Father, we lift our hearts uh, to you, and we thank you that you love us. Enough to send your son to die for us and rise again. And We do desire to encounter you. You tell us in your word, if we draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. So we ask that you would speak to us, that you'd send your Holy Spirit and lead us and guide us in truth, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story this week that really touched my heart about love and, and God's love being expressed uh, through adoption. This family uh, adopted an eight-year-old girl, but what was unique about this is it wasn't her first adoption. She'd been adopted one time prior, and the adoption didn't work out. After a couple of years with being with her adopted family, there wasn't much cohesiveness, and the family actually decided to dissolve the adoption. So now she's being adopted for the second time. And as she comes into uh, this family, the story unfolds that in her first adopted family, when they would go on vacation to Disney World, they would always leave this girl with a friend. And she interpreted this, that she had done something wrong, and this is why uh, she didn't get to go to, to Disney World. So her new adopted family right away started to save for a Disney World family uh, vacation. And as they got a couple months uh, to this trip, this little eight-year-old girl, she started to really misbehave and, and act out. She was caught stealing when all she had to do was ask for a snack, but she decided to steal instead. She was lying. She was being really mean with her words to, to her siblings. And her dad pulled her up in her lap and she says, Dad, I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me that I'm not allowed to go to Disney World because of the, the way that I'm behaving. And he said, no, that's not it at all. That thought's never come into my mind. You're part of the family and we're going together as a family. And he hoped that that would maybe change her behavior, but lo and behold, uh, she was difficult all the way up to, to this trip, all the way into to Disney World. They came into the hotel after the first night, really tired and, and wore out. And this little girl pulled up into her dad's lap and her tone had changed and she melted. And now I read and I quote uh, from the father and he writes this and said, she closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. After a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. The dad goes on to write, that's the message of outrageous grace. Outrageous grace isn't a favor you can achieve by doing good. It's the gift you receive by being God's. Outrageous grace is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you have nothing but a middle finger flipped up in the face of God to offer in return. 
Church, this morning, we're going to look at the good news. We're going to look at the grace of Jesus Christ, the outrageous grace of God. We live in a time where there's a ton of bad news. Whatever happens in this world, it finds its way to our phone in a matter of seconds. We spend more time looking at our screens than we do at people's faces. If you look around in a coffee shop or if parents are are waiting for uh, their kids, all of us have our phones in our faces. Even during this service, you are going to have the urge to check your phone. Your phone's going to vibrate. That text can wait. That notification that the world has just blown up can wait, right? It's maybe more than we were ever intended to be able to process. All the bad news of the world coming to us at one moment. But for the next few moments, we're going to focus on the good news, the gospel. What is the good news? The word gospel means good news, and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul records for us what the good news is. And he says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And this morning we're focusing on the second half of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins and then the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. That all believe in Christ receive the grace of God for the forgiveness of sins. So join me in verse 1 of Mark 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. These women are coming to the tomb of Christ to properly anoint his body for burial. If you're taking notes, write down the word love. What we see in these three women is a tremendous love for Jesus Christ. They're at the trial of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. Now they're the first to come to the tomb. They couldn't come to the tomb on the Sabbath day. Now the Sabbath day is over. It's Sunday morning. It's the first day of the week uh, for the Jews. As soon as they possibly could, they come to anoint the body of Christ. There's many obstacles that are there before them to have this become a reality. They're risking their lives in order to anoint the body of Christ. As we'll see, there's a stone. How are they going to be able to roll the stone away from the tomb of Christ? But love doesn't see obstacles, amen? They're touched by the love of Christ. And so we have a great example of women that are in love with Jesus. In verse 2, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They're seeking the Lord early. There's something about seeking the Lord first thing in the day. This morning, we had a a sunrise service out at Sky Sox Stadium. I think it was a little warmer for these ladies than it was for us this morning. But sometimes, once the day has reached noon or two or three in the afternoon, we've been bombarded with so many things, it's difficult to seek the Lord. But there's something about when the day is fresh, whenever... You find your feet hitting the carpet to seek the Lord and draw near to the Lord. And Jesus still meets those that seek him early. So here they come to the tomb very early in the morning. Verse 3, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? 
For most of us, we would have never left our houses because of the obstacle of the stone that covered the tomb of Christ. We go, There's no reason even, even going. We're not going to be able to roll this stone away. It's, it's too heavy. It's, it's the three of us. I, I tend to be at fault at this many times. If there's a, a difficulty that I look at a human perspective, I go, well, well there's no reason to even go. But, but these women are, are willing to go. They're willing to take the step of faith. And, and the attitude here is we're going to find a way. Like, this is so important to us. We love Christ so much. We're going to find a way to move this stone so that we can properly anoint his body. There had to have been so much heartbreak that's taking place for these women. To watch Christ be crucified. To know that he's buried in this tomb to mentally trying to put their minds around that they're going to have to touch the body of Christ that was beaten and killed and anoint his body. Very, very difficult. If you've ever buried a loved one and you, you come to that moment where you see their body, it's an important part of the grieving process to realize that they're gone, but it's brutal, isn't it? And here they're, they're facing that moment. They're coming to the tomb of Christ and they're anticipating this. In verse four, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. God took care of the obstacle. To their surprise, the stone has been rolled away. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Imagine the shock First, that the stone is rolled away. You come to the grave of one that you love. What if the grave's been messed with? What if the casket's been dug up out of the ground? So the stone's rolled away, but the body, most importantly, is missing. Christ, his, his body is not there. Then there's an angel standing in the tomb. Interesting that the Bible says that the angel was a young man had the appearance of a young man. The book of Hebrews tells us to entertain angels because, entertain strangers because we could be entertaining angels unaware. In verse six, here's the message of the angel. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angel declares the gospel, doesn't he? He declares the good news. He says, you don't need to be alarmed. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See where they laid him. These are the most important words that have ever been uttered in all of human history. He is risen. He is not here. How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, church? Is is this paramount or is this just small details? Is it important that you believe in the resurrection? Is this a non-negotiable? Yes, it's an absolute non-negotiable. Because Christ is risen, Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God, and he said, I'm gonna prove it by dying upon the cross and rising again three days later. He predicted his own resurrection. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he would be a liar. He would have lied to us. But because he rose from the dead, he's Lord, he's God. So the resurrection of Christ proves that Jesus is God, is who he claimed to be, sets him apart from all others who have claimed deity. Also at the resurrection of Christ, the gospel is fulfilled, that Jesus died 
for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again three days later according to the scriptures. If we don't have the resurrection, we don't have the gospel. Maybe this morning as you're thinking through the gospel for the first time and you're like, what is the good news that he died for my sin and he rose again? What if Christ didn't rise again? Then we would be dead in our sins. For us as believers, as we get to share the gospel, don't leave out the resurrection. It's really important because it's the fulfillment of the gospel. Because Christ has risen, we are new creations in Christ. It's possible for you to become a new creation in Christ. I can remember when I first started pastoring and sharing the gospel, I would share the crucifixion but wouldn't share the resurrection. And lovingly, my wife came to me and said, you keep leaving out the resurrection. You need to be sharing the resurrection as well. The gospel is fulfilled at the resurrection of Christ. Also, the resurrection shows that our faith is not in vain. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, and he declared to us, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, that we of all people would be most foolish, that we should be mocked, that we should be made fun of, that there's no validity to our faith. But if Christ is risen, then our faith is not in vain. There's evidence for our faith. Also, with the resurrection, we, like Christ, will rise for all of eternity. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning we will follow in this same pattern of the resurrection unto eternal life. Jesus defeated the grave. Also, the penalty and the power of sin is broken in our lives. Let that sink in for just a moment. The penalty and the power of sin is broken at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. The blood of Jesus is enough. As we look to Christ and trust in Christ, it's finished. We're forgiven. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. The joy of forgiveness, of knowing that we're forgiven by God. But also, the power of sin is broken in our lives. Before we knew Christ as our Savior, there was no hope to overcome sin. But because we're in Christ, because the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us, the power of sin has literally been broken. My old man, my sinful nature has been nailed to the cross, and now we're new creations in Christ. One thing that I love about the resurrection of Christ also is, is the promise that Christ is always with us. That he's always with us. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I know some of you are going through a lot of difficulty, a lot of trial. For you this Easter, it's a crushing time. Jesus is with you. He's our good shepherd. He promises to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. One is we're gonna get through it. He's gonna walk with us through this valley. And he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He is with you. He is risen. What's the instruction that the angel gives? He says, I want you to go and tell. In verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. Therefore, you will see him as he said to you. Why the emphasis on Peter? Because Peter had denied the Lord. At the trial of Christ... He said that he never knew the Lord. He denied the Lord three times. Talk about a lonely, dark three days for Peter. He's living in the condemnation of his sin. The angel has the message from God, and the message of God is you need to tell the disciples and Peter. 
The resurrected Savior is going to come in John 21 and restore Peter. And maybe that's the message for you this morning. As God's child, you have found yourself doing things you never thought you would do. You've denied the Lord. It's been really difficult even to come to church this morning. You're thinking, could God love me? Could God forgive me? And the answer is yes, because of the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus went to the cross and died for Peter in Peter's compromise. He rose again to restore Peter. Jesus forgave Peter and made Peter the first pastor of the church. A church selection committee for a new pastor would have not chosen Peter. (laughs) But God chose Peter. See, God not only will forgive you and restore you, but he wants to use you. Maybe the resurrection needs to fall upon your ears. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In verse 8, So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They're in complete awe. Verse 9, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with them as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Jesus appears first to Mary Magdalene. John 20 records this in greater detail. Mary stayed at the tomb, at the garden. What she thought to be was the gardener. She says, do you know where they have taken the body of Jesus? If you tell me, I'll I'll go and bring him back. And that touched the heart of Jesus. And he called her by name and he says, Mary. She recognized the risen Savior at that moment and says, Rabboni, Master, Teacher. And then she's instructed to go and share with the disciples. So we see the meeting here. We see God revealing himself to Mary in a personal way. And church, this is the message of the resurrection. This is the good news. God is still in the business of calling people by name. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he knows you. He's seen every day of your life. He knows the number of hairs upon your head, what you're thinking, where you would sit this morning, what you'll do this afternoon. His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea, and he wants a relationship with you. See, this isn't a religion. It's not about going to church. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where a risen Savior reveals himself to us. Believers, family of God, do you think God's done meeting with us? Did he stop revealing himself to us the moment that we got saved and then said, all right, see you in eternity, have a nice life, right? He wants to meet with us. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're thinking about. Christ, the risen Savior, meeting with us, revealing himself to us. In verse 10, or verse 12, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. This is recorded in Luke 24. The disciples, two disciples, were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walked with them for the whole journey, 
taking them through the Old Testament scriptures, showing how it pointed to Christ. Then Jesus prayed for the meal and broke bread, and it was at that moment that they recognized the risen Savior, and then Jesus vanished. These two disciples come back as well and share that Christ is risen, but the disciples don't believe the three witnesses, Mary Magdalene and these two witnesses as well, because of their unbelief. In verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus appears to them at the table and what does he do? He rebukes their unbelief. Faith is important to God. In fact, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. It's the only way to come into a right relationship with God. The just shall walk by faith. God wants us to continue walking in trust in the Lord. God sees unbelief as such a serious thing that in his love he'll rebuke unbelief and he'll correct unbelief and he'll say, guys, what's the deal? I told you that this was gonna take place. I've I've given you three witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Why did they have a heart of unbelief? It was because of the hardness of heart. So if you're taking notes, write down the word unbelief. And examine our own hearts to say, is there unbelief that has developed in my heart? Has my heart gotten hard? What's interesting about our relationship with the Lord is we can trust God in the biggest thing possible, and that's our salvation. I know that I'm God's child. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I have eternal life. But then when there is a difficulty in our circumstances, maybe a health challenge, financial difficulty, relational difficulty, it rocks our world, and sometimes it's difficult to trust God, isn't it? Unbelief creeps into our hearts, and it's not logical. Our unbelief many times is not logical. I have to step back from my situation and go, wait a second, God, you've provided salvation. You're the God of the resurrection. So why has unbelief crept into my heart? Maybe it is in this level of like the disciples, you have a hard time believing the resurrection of Christ. Maybe you've heard of the risen Savior, but you're like, man, that's more like fairy tales. It's kind of in the same vein as make-believe. This isn't make-believe. This is Christ has risen, and he comes and he confronts our unbelief. In verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have the commission. Have you noticed in Mark 16 that as soon as there has been the understanding that Christ is risen, there has been the instruction to go and tell. We have the angel. What does he say? Go and tell. Mary Magdalene, Jesus reveals himself to her. John 20, Jesus says, go and tell. 
the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they immediately return and go and tell. And now Jesus is meeting with the 11 and he says, I'm risen and I'm giving you a commission to go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the good news. Sometimes we get geeked out on things, don't we? Maybe you get an Apple watch and you're really geeked out about it and you're, you're sharing about it. Or maybe there's a vehicle that's really got your, your attention or a sport that's gotten your attention. Maybe you've begun a, a dating relationship and you're, you're walking around Twitter-pated. Everybody that knows you is like, something has come over you this spring and it's not the weather, right? We tend to preach what we're excited about. And it's not difficult for these to preach Christ because they've encountered Christ. They're seeing the risen Savior. They know their sins are forgiven, and so they want to go and share. They want to go and tell. We're living in a very dark culture where many people don't know Christ as their Savior. And we're praying throughout our city and our state and our country that many would come to church this weekend. But you know what? There's going to be a lot that will never come inside the door of a church. And we have to go to them. We can't expect that they're going to come into the doors of the church. We have to go. When we think of our friends and our family members and our coworkers and even strangers, and we ask the question, who's going to share Jesus with them? Somebody's going to have to go. The Bible says, how are they going to hear unless someone shares? And how is someone going to share unless they've been sent? And, and church, I'm telling you, you're sent. You're sent by Jesus. Jesus is saying, Go and tell the gospel and share the good news. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to have the wrap down from Genesis to Revelation. You simply have to know what Christ has done in your life. Know the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again according to the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Has your Christian life gotten a little boring? Has it gotten a little mundane? Are you like, man, it's another Resurrection Sunday. Every day is alike. Christ is alive every day. I don't know why we make such a big deal out of this, right? You know? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. The only thing that's driving my existence is my bills, right? And my refrigerator and my laundry, you know? God's saying, no, you're my child. I want to use your life. I want you to be able to share the good news of the gospel. So we've been given commission. And it's so exciting to see God use our lives for his glory. Verse 19 and 20. So then after that, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. Jesus ascended. The last word to write down is the ascension, the ascension of Christ. We're told that the same way that Jesus was taken up to heaven, he will return. Christ is going to return upon the Mount of Olives. He's seated upon the throne with his Father. Why is this important to know about Christ? Because the Bible tells us that he's preparing a place for us. This life is great. This life is, is wonderful. What God has, has created, but it's just a little bit 
of a foreshadowing, a small taste of what heaven is going to be like. He's preparing a place for you. But also, the Bible tells us that at the throne, he ever lives to make intercession for you. Jesus is saying, I I lift that believer, my son, my daughter, up up to the Father. Would you be with them? They're going through a difficult time. The last two weeks, I had the opportunity and privilege to go to Uganda on our missions uh, trip with, with our team, and hopefully I'll be able to share more of that, that trip with you and what God is doing uh, in, in Gulu down the road. But as I was on this trip the last two weeks, God really reminded me of the goodness of the gospel, of how much that he loves me. And it really took place in two ways. And the first was that my 14-year-old daughter, Hannah, was able to go on this missions trip with us. And it was really neat to see her experience Uganda and the mission field and to see it through her eyes, through, through the eyes of my oldest daughter, my, my 14-year-old. But she also got really sick. And it's probably the sickest that any of our kids have been. And she came home sick and she continues to be sick and is showing signs of, of, of getting better. But as a parent, watching your child be that sick, it hurts your heart. And you do everything that you can and you're filled with worry and concern and then ultimately, you're like, okay, God, we've done everything that we can do. This, this is in, in your hand. And I couldn't help but think how difficult it must have been for the father to watch his son die upon the cross. And the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. The father sent his son to die upon the cross. Jesus tells us that the joy set before him, he, he endured the cross, the physical torture that Christ went through, but also the spiritual torment as Jesus was punished for, for our sins. And it made me appreciate the sacrifice of Christ in a greater way. Because the Father wants us to know how much he loves his son. The Father speaks twice audibly from heaven where they could hear his voice. And his message was the same both times. And he said, this is my beloved son. Saying, don't miss this Guys, I love this guy right here. This is my boy. He's my beloved son. Sometimes the Bible reads a little weird, you know, as it's translated from Hebrew and Greek into to English, and we read words like only begotten, and it kind of becomes a, a memory verse that, that we've learned. But only begotten means this is my boy. I love him. He means everything to me. He means the world to me and I have shown my love to you and that I have given my son. So that helped me to reflect upon the gospel. And then also on this Uganda trip, we were able to go to Merchantson Falls. The Nile River is in Uganda. It's the the source of of the Nile, begins in Uganda. In this waterfall, you have all of the, the Nile River coming to this pretty narrow canyon and the water just pours down into Uh, this canyon. So we pull up in this boat and pause for a moment and look at the waterfall. And Pastor Dan Johnson put on some worship music. He had his Bluetooth speaker and his phone and put on some worship music. And we just stopped and reflected for a couple of worship songs. And in that moment, God was gracious enough to bring me back to that time when I received Christ as my Savior, when God really got a a hold of my life. And I, I was 14 years old 
And I grew up in a Christian family. I was born on a Sunday. And then the next Sunday, I was in church. We had Sunday school hour, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, and we were at all of the services. And I hated it, you know? If you are hating church this morning, I understand. That, that was me uh, uh, growing up. And I heard the love of God, but I missed the love of God. And I had made a decision for Christ at a young age, but it, it did not register with me. God was, you know, further away than Mars in my reality and in my perspective. My freshman year of high school, I remember sitting in youth group, still going to church, and the youth pastor, it was New Year's Eve, he said, I want you to write down three things that you want God to do in your life. Put it down on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, put down your address, I'll mail it to you a year later. I wrote down, God, I'd like you to be closer to me than my brother. I have an older brother and a younger sister, and my older brother's 22 months older, and he was real in my life, but God wasn't real in my life. So that's December 31st. It's January 4th. Five days later, I'm walking home from the gym, the basketball gym, and I was feeling a tremendous amount of emptiness. I had put everything into basketball, and I thought if I made the varsity team as a freshman— my life would be golden. It'd be perfect. I'd feel fulfilled inside, and all of the girls would want to date me. (laughs) But the opposite happened. I felt tremendously empty, and I still couldn't get a date. I couldn't figure that out. So I cried out to God, and it may have been the first genuine prayer that I'd said. I said, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And in that moment, God spoke to my heart, He says, Eric, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. And I walked into my parents' house, and my eyes were filled with tears, and I said, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And I felt that again this last week out in Uganda, in Murchison Falls, of God just speaking to my heart, saying, Eric, I love you independent of you. My love for you is not based on what you do, I don't love you more when you succeed and love you less when you fail. And I felt the depth of the gospel of Romans 5.8 that says, but God demonstrated. God's love is on clear display. God demonstrated his love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And this morning, if you don't know Christ as your savior, I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear the good news that apart from you, God has chosen to love you. Just like this young girl who was eight years old that was adopted into this family, she went to Disney World because the family chose to love her, to bestow love upon her, not because she was good. And it's the same with God. He's bestowed that love upon us. How do you receive that love? How do you connect with that love? It's through a decision, a choice that we all get to make. The Bible calls it faith, to believe. First, to understand that we're sinners, to understand that we've been separated by God because of our sin. When we rebel, but also when we try to do good and miss the mark. Ever been there? We're all sinners. And so it's turning from our sin. As a 14-year-old, I realized, man, I'm making a mess of me. There's emptiness here, and there has to be that willingness to say, I'm turning away from sin, the Bible calls it repentance, and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I believe you died for me and rose again 
be the Lord of my life. And it's that simple. The Bible tells us as you believe, you have everlasting life. And in just a moment, as we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand to the Lord. Not to anybody else, but to the Lord. There's no gamesmanship here. This isn't about joining a church. This is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've already received Christ your Savior, you don't need to do this again. This is, if you know up until this point in your life, you have never made a point of decision, a point of faith to receive Christ as your Savior, to raise your hand to Christ, and I'm going to say a prayer with you, and more importantly, you saying a prayer in your heart of believing in Christ. But then also as believers, I want you to hear me on this. Believers, the gospel is for you. The gospel hasn't stopped because you're a believer. And God relates with you and you're in relationship with God because of the gospel. And the message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he loves you. He's crazy in love with you to the point where he sent his only begotten son so that he could be in relationship with you. He's not impressed with your giving. He's not impressed with your Bible reading. He's not impressed with your morality. He's pleased because of your faith in Christ. And I hope this morning that you're refreshed and you're overwhelmed with the love of God for you. So gang, let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord together. Father, we, we ask through the Holy Spirit that you would open up our hearts and minds and ears to your love once again. So many times we, we think that you love us because of what we do. And we thank you that your love is unconditional that even when we do throw our fist at you, that you respond by sending your son to die for us. God, I can't change hearts. My, my words don't change hearts. It's you that changes hearts. So God, would you speak to believers and reaffirm your love to them by your grace? And God, would you speak to those that don't know you would you introduce yourself to them? Would you call them by name? If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior and you haven't made that decision before and it's making sense to you now, would you raise your hand and leave it up and I'm gonna say a prayer with you. We'll just wait for a few moments. That's you and say, I wanna respond to the love of God. Turn from my sin, trust Christ for salvation. Please raise your hand and raise it high where I can see it and I'll say a prayer with you. We'll just wait for a few moments. Praise God, I see your hand in the back. Anybody else that says, that's me? Just raise it high. Don't be bashful. Praise the Lord, I see your hand down here as well. If you're upstairs or you're watching through the live stream, you'd like to receive Christ right where you're at, raise your hand and say this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sin. Would you please forgive me? I receive your forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for making me your child. You can put your hands down. Father, as a church family, we're so thankful for what you've done in these lives. We just pray that you would bless them, that you would protect them and encourage them. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.